another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing times and the changing world and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Dictated as almost always is the case during my 50 mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas at an average speed when the traffic allows me of about 70 miles an hour. Uh, today is Thursday, February 26th. This is episode 149. 149 times we've gotten together on this show, and that makes tomorrow episode 150. So make sure you tune in tomorrow. I have an announcement tomorrow, and believe it or not, it's not going to be me doing a whole lot. It's going to be something you can do. I've been kicking around the idea of an individual act of secession, and not, you know, I hereby absolve my citizenship of the United States because they won't take that anyway even if you do it. They'll tell you it's not allowed because some people have tried to do it to avoid paying taxes. Uh, But more along the lines of I will refuse to accept from the government X, Y, and Z. I won't do it. I won't take their government charity. I don't want it. Among other things. And I've been trying to crack this nut for a while and then something very, very simple appeared to me and I went, wow, I'm trying to make this too complicated. So I'll tell you what that is tomorrow. And if you want to, then you after that, you can think about it for a while and stand up and declare your own independence from the systems of dependence that have been put in front of us to feed us like corn-fed hogs in a pen. That's how I feel when I look out at the American people and with the American government and the big businesses that are tied in with them together are doing to the people. Now, folks, I am not uh, coming down down on the businessman. I'm an entrepreneur myself. I'm talking about the giant businesses, the huge corporations that are so in bed with the government uh, that they get to write the laws. People like Monsanto and their ilk. And for all of you that want to bash Bush about and Cheney about Halliburton, um, not a big fan of Halliburton. Really not. Uh, but if you look at Monsanto, um, they make Halliburton look like freaking Eagle Scouts. And uh, if you uh, just are a Bush Cheney hater, I'm not a big fan of those guys either, but if you just have to hate them, Cheney's on the board of a corporation that is a subcorp of Monsanto. So uh, you don't just have to hate them because of uh, what they do. You can go ahead and hate them for that too. All right, so enough politics today. Uh, we're going to roll in to to just some things that I've been thinking about, some things that we're actually doing at the uh, the Spirico uh, Homestead A, which is a little homestead in the city that we have. It's a temporary homestead until we move up to Homestead B, which someday will become our primary homestead up in uh, Hot Springs. Some, some ideas that we have we're going to be doing this weekend and uh, how they pertain to producing your own food and storing your own food and using your own food. Not just in case the shit hits the fan, but on a daily basis, because that's part of living that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. I'll tell you, here's how this started out for me yesterday. Yesterday I was getting ready to leave the house 
I was going to get in the car. I had my little index card with a few notes on it for the show I did yesterday. I'm making plans for bugging out and documentation and things like that. And uh, I thought, well, I wonder what I'm going to do for lunch today. And I usually run somewhere and grab something or what have you or bring something from the fridge. And I looked out in the garden and I said, you know what, there's plenty of uh, salad sitting out there. So I took a pair of shears out of the chopping block in a bowl and I went outside and I cut a salad. Put it in a bowl. I got a little bowl, put some dressing in it because I am not that much of a nature freak that I'm going to eat my salad without something like, uh, I think yesterday I had a little bit of blue cheese dressing on it. Sprinkled some Parmesan uh, cheese on the top. Sprinkled it with some sesame seeds and a little black pepper. Sealed those bowls up, tossed them in a little mini cooler, threw them in the trunk and went to work. And then for lunch, I did get out of the office so I wouldn't snap out. I went somewhere and sat in a shady place with the windows down and the top open on the car listened to the radio and enjoyed my salad and then I took a walk around Lowe's department store to see what I could dream up for my next projects then went back to work and hit it hard and worked the rest of the day and after doing that I thought to myself you know what, I bet you I could do this two days a week right now that I have enough production in my garden right now to do this two days a week, plus still have a salad or two uh, for the whole family at home. In about a month, I'll be able to do this every day because my production will come up to that level. And like a lot of you, I'm still, you know, uh, I have to apologize. We don't have Survival Podcast t-shirts yet. That's something I'm going to get done. There's just so much we're dealing with right now that I just don't have time to deal with that too. Um, but when I started polling the audience for size, is a lot of XXLs and XXXLs out there, guys. And I am an XLX. Right? I got a couple Xs in front of my L. And uh, some of it's because I'm a big guy. I've got big shoulders. I'm tall. And uh, I also like to have a shirt that's a little bit bulky for a reason that many of you folks that live in states that believe in freedom will understand. I'll leave it at that. Um, but I could use with maybe knocking a little bit of one of the Xs off of me. And I thought, well, if I eat a salad a couple days a week, and that's my lunch, and uh, eat a salad a couple nights a week, and that's my dinner, uh, I'd probably just take care of things, and I wouldn't have to worry about going on Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig or any of that other bullshit that I don't believe in. But what a great way to start really depending on your own production and start moving toward some level of self-sufficiency is to start doing something like that, especially for those of us who maybe could use losing a little bit of an X. So that got me thinking of what other things we could be doing with our garden, both what's in the ground and with the container gardening, and uh, I decided that that's some of the stuff that we'll talk about today. It's not just going to be how you can lose weight by eating from your garden by Jack Spirico. That's not today's show, folks. Uh, It's just one component of it, because we're going to talk about some other things, like some ways to store a lot of the extra production you'll get out of your garden when production's high in the, the summer and the fall, and you're producing more than you can possibly consume. What to do with zucchini other than put it in a bag and throw it in somebody's car uh, is an act of charity, quote-unquote, right? Uh, to actually make this stuff last for you, because soon you'll be back in, you know, November, December, January, February again, where your production is in the tank, and you won't have a lot of fresh stuff from the garden, and, and you know, how can you continue to have some of your own food uh, providing for you then? So we're going to talk about all that stuff. Now here's another thing that kicked it off. This is pretty cool, and it ties in with the uh, new uh, voluntary program. I 
always have to stress this is a voluntary thing, not taking away the podcast, not charging for the podcast, not charging for the forum, not charging for the blog, okay? But the voluntary uh, thing of the supporting members brigade, which about 60 people have joined now uh, at five bucks a month, uh, I am getting ready to do a video this weekend. One of our first videos is going to be converting a normal flower pot that you get very, very inexpensively into a strawberry flower pot like the ones that they charge $60 to $70 for. And uh, I'm going to do this on an ultra-low budget, and I'm going to create my strawberry flower pot for 5 bucks labor, dirt, and strawberry plants. You wonder, how the heck are you going to do it for 5 bucks? Well, I was when I was walking through, uh, uh, not Lowe's yesterday, but Home Depot earlier this week, I do that at lunch sometimes. There's two of them real close to me, and they're one of my favorite places to take a walk and look around and think. And uh, I happened to find 20-inch flower pots at Home Depot in Frisco, Texas, for 5 bucks. Big, giant plastic ones. I think they said they you know, on the, the label on site said 54 quarts is what they hold. So you can convert that to gallons. All I know is it's uh, a lot bigger than a five-gallon bucket as far as its capacity. So I started looking at those pots, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm buying at least six of them. So I grabbed six, went to the counter, and said, yeah, I'm buying these if the price is not a lie. Because all the other ones were like on sale, but they were like 18 bucks. But this gray color, apparently nobody was buying, so they knocked them down to five. They were five. I bought them. I, should've, I, should, I might go back today and see if there's any left, because I don't know where you're going to find a deal like that or how often you're going to find a deal like that. Anyway, so I, I get them home and I start looking through some of my different catalogs and some of the different container gardening options, uh, blueberries uh, spe- specifically and strawberries, and I started thinking, well, I could make that into a uh, strawberry uh, flower pot. All I need is about a one and a half inch hole saw. I have a one and a half inch hole saw, which is a little saw device that goes on a drill bit that goes on the end of a high speed drill. So I took one of them just to make sure before I made an idiot out of myself that there wouldn't be any trouble with the whole saw cutting plastic. Didn't seem like there would. There wasn't, man. It zipped right through. So I made one hole in the pot. So this weekend, I'm going to be filming a video of making a strawberry pot the way I just told you. Now, the thing is, you know, you could do it yourself. You don't need the video, but premium members will get to watch the video. But here's my thought with that. You take this one pot. And you look, and the surface area is fairly large. And I would say you could put six to eight um, ever-bearing strawberries on the top of it. But putting them around the side, I figured out that being, without even being, like, way too aggressive with it, just, you know, one every segment and then one every other segment on a second row, I could put about 16 more. So now you're taking 30 strawberry plants in one pot, and then they drape over the side, and you're taking something that would have cost you to go out and buy one of the clay pot ones that can break, by the way, right, clay can break, um, 60 or 70 bucks, and you're building one for five, or even if you bought one of the more expensive ones, 15, 20 bucks, so you're saving $50, you're producing your own strawberries. Now, the cool thing is, since they're in a pot, they're going to do a lot of things for me from a survivalist mentality. One, I extend my season. The first thing I did is I made sure that I, the plants I purchased for them are ever-bearing. With strawberries, you got June-bearing and ever-bearing. June-bearing bear mostly in June, so they, they get real big, they produce a big crop, and then they don't produce again until next year. Ever-bearing, as long as the temperature's right, the sun's right, and they're happy, they just keep making more strawberries, more and more and more. And actually, the more you pick, the more they produce. That's just how they work. If you want to keep their production up, keep picking them. 
So you've got a long-duration production method of strawberries now, which I don't know about you guys, but I love strawberries from everything from fresh eating to making strawberry wine, all right? But since they're in a pot and I have a greenhouse, when it starts to get cold, I can move them into the greenhouse. And in theory, I should be able to get year-round strawberry production from my strawberry pot. And then like a lot of you, my hope one day, and it's getting to be not a hope but a plan now, and it's looking like 2010 is going to be the year, I want to move away from where I am and out to my place in the sticks. When I go, instead of leaving behind a great big beautiful strawberry plot for the guy that buys my house, that probably will be a yuppie that doesn't appreciate it, who will see it as an annoyance and have to get rid of it anyway, I'll be able to take my strawberry pot up to my place in Arkansas and continue to have production off of it for years. So that's how I want you to start thinking if you're one of these people that live in an apartment or live in a small rent house or live in a house you know you're not going to be at long or you live, I've talked to a lot of people that have mobile homes and they live in mobile home parks and they're not allowed to put a garden in the ground. You know, you might have thought, well, strawberries are out of the question. So there's one little project for you. Now I want you to start thinking, though, with all these strawberries, if you have more than you can eat, what do you do with them? So here's a few methods of preservation you may want to look into as we go into this year. The first thing about strawberries is you can freeze them. It's a great way to store them. Uh, They're never going to be the same as they were fresh, but for making desserts and doing just about anything other than fresh eating, they're going to be just fine. And even with fresh eating, they're good. They're just different after they've been frozen. If you ever eat a strawberry that's been frozen, you know what I'm talking about. Jellies or jam. It may be something that you want to look into putting on your to-learn list this year if you don't know how to do it already. Strawberry jelly or strawberry jam is absolutely wonderful. And if you do it and you you know you can it, and maybe canning is something you want to look into where you you know you make sure that it's sealed properly, it stores without refrigeration. And it's a great way to, you know, in January when there are no fresh strawberries, have fresh strawberry taste and increase your provisions. Another thing about strawberries that a lot of people really aren't aware of, they're actually very easy to dehydrate and they retain a lot of their flavor and they store very well as long as you keep them in a low oxygen environment once they've been dehydrated. So here's how you dehydrate your strawberries. If you try to do it in the sun, it won't be fast enough. You need a dehydrator and there's all kinds of them out there. You can build one with a fan, a light bulb, some screens and a box or you can just go buy one of the commercially available ones and they're all pretty daggone good. You need to slice your strawberries about a quarter inch thick, maybe a little thicker even. Thicker is better with this because they'll be less brittle and they'll store better and they'll stay together better. All right, and then you just dehy- you just put them in the dehydrator, run them till run them until when you pick one up and bend it, it cracks easily. Once you've done that, if you put them in Ziploc bags and with an oxygen absorbing tab in there, is a great idea. They have a very very long storage life. I don't even know how long. I know I've done it for over a year, and they tasted the same as if you dehydrated them a week later. 
when you then have these strawberries in that, that position or that, that, that condition, I should say, they open up a lot of different options for you. One, they're actually pretty doggone good if you just soak them in a little bit of water and throw them on some ice cream. If you wanted some just dessert, good thing to throw to the kids and make the ice cream special. But they're also very good for trail mixes. They're actually pretty daggone good if you eat them dehydrated. So you can make your own trail mixes with them, make them part of maybe your own MREs. If you put them in some kind of a small, like a snack-sized bag and make them part of like a meal that you would eat on the ro- uh, eat, eat out in the field or eat in an emergency situation, you fill that bag with a little bit of, you know, at least tepid, you don't want ice cold, but tepid water at least, uh, something like canteen temperature or what have you. Uh, they, they're actually pretty good to just eat right out of the bag rehydrated. So there's another method of preservation. So what I've given you is a new, a new way of production and a couple new ways of preserving what you have. And then there's my favorite way to preserve at least the essence and the flavor of a strawberry. And that's in the form of a strawberry mead or a strawberry wine. I'm just much bigger on making mead than wine. If you take about 10 pounds of fresh strawberries and infuse that into about a 6 to 7 gallon uh, batch of mead, and you're going to want to age that once it's done fermenting and everything in the bottle at least 6 months, you'll produce something really special and I'll leave it at that. So maybe you want to go back and listen to the, the, the show I did on making meads and uh, beers. Then, since I said beer, I got to tell you this too. If you're a home brewer, if you make beer, make a strawberry wheat beer. You need about five pounds of strawberries. Uh, I would even say five pounds. It's probably way too much. Uh, you need about five quarts of strawberries uh, to a five-gallon batch of beer, about a quart of strawberries. And that wouldn't be whole berries. That would be chopped because they take up less space. About five quarts of uh, strawberries to a five-gallon batch of beer. And uh, a strawberry wheat beer is something pretty cool. Uh, great for those hot summer days, uh, especially in hot summer evenings on the back porch. So let's move on from there to another idea that I have for these big, giant uh, containers. I'm definitely going to plant a fig tree. And one of them, and I think figs are uh, an often overlooked in America uh, fruit. Uh, that are great for production. Many of the trees produce twice a year. Some will produce almost three crops a year. Uh, if you just don't know what brand of fig to plant, the most adaptable, versatile brand of fig in the United States is uh, called brown turkey. And uh, it's pretty cold hardy, so you guys up north can grow them. Grow them in containers. They can come in houses. It's actually warm enough here and warm enough in Arkansas even in the winter, to grow uh, certain varieties of figs outside. So the reason I'm actually going to container garden the fig is just like the container peaches I've talked about recently. When we leave, the tree's going with me. And I'll plant it uh, in the ground up in Arkansas and mulch it through the winter. So there's another uh, item. Now, I think figs are another uh, overlooked staple by the survivalists. Dried figs have a great storage life. Unless you live in an arid climate, again, this is going to be something you want to use a dehydrator for. You'll want to cut them in half at minimum. I prefer to cut a fig in quarters uh, for dehydration. But uh, a dried fig stores very 
well. Good sources of vitamins, and uh, uh, they actually taste really good. So a lot of people don't like figs. If you don't like figs, I mean, I, I can't help you with that. But uh, when you when you dehydrate your figs, you do not want to do the strawberry thing where they break. You want them to be very dry on the outside, but you want them to be a little bit of uh, moisture retained on the inside. And again, Ziploc bags with O2 absorbers, uh, great way to uh, store them. And they also will make a really good addition to trail mix with those dried strawberries uh, if you add some other things. So, again, I just want you to start thinking kind of outside of the box here about how you can start to incorporate more of your own production into what you actually store and then living by the credo of store what you eat and eat what you store so that you're not always relying on the... Um, the grocery store, you know, or the convenience store, or the fast food place for something to eat. If you start to produce these types of foods, what you'll realize is once you start eating them, you will pre- prefer them to just about anything else. First of all, you'll have a certain amount of satisfaction, but second of all, you'll remember how good food really tastes. Because a lot of the stuff that you're eating from the supermarket just doesn't taste right. And it's not going to taste right. And it can't taste right. Because it was, a, you know, if it's tomato, instead of being a beautiful, natural heirloom tomato that still tastes warm from the sun that was on it, that you've just sliced up and added to the top of a chilled salad so that you have warm to go with the cold and create that difference, right? It's from a store. It was picked green in Argentina three weeks ago. It ripened at the store under the lights there. And it's a hybrid designed more for how well it will travel and store than how it will taste. So I really challenge you this year to look into food production. I know sometimes this this show you're going, is the garden show or the survival podcast? Folks, the two are so intertwined. Gardening and survivalism are intertwined. When we talk about survivalism, it's not just what if everything goes bad, but how can we learn lessons from our grandparents and our great-grandparents, the people that founded this nation and made it great and made it what it was, those people, the pioneers. And there wasn't one of them without a garden in the backyard. Not a one. And there were very few of them that didn't plant a couple trees that also produced for them in the form of either fruits or nuts. In fact, do me a favor. Do this today or tomorrow. The next time you drive through you know, any housing development that's more than a couple of years old, some of the, the brand new places that they've built houses, which there's not a lot of those right now because uh, the building's down, but... You know, any place in the neighborhood that's been around for five or more years where the trees have had time to come back. And I want you to go through there and just in your head kind of count how many trees you see that are something like a Bradford pear. Which is a pear tree that has been specifically bred so that it will never produce a pear. Or Chinese pistachio, which is a hybrid pistachio tree, yes, origin China, but specifically had its nut production bred out of it so that it wouldn't produce. And just how many trees, and if you replaced one in five of them with a tree that produced food just in suburban America today, how much additional food could we produce? And I want you to remember, and maybe you haven't heard this older episode, but I did an episode last year where I talked about the fact that the United States is now a net importer of food. 
I don't think anybody would be surprised to know that we are a net importer of oil. We've been that way for a long time. And that simply means that we import more oil than we export. Without, you know, without imported oil, we couldn't run our country. We couldn't make it. We'd have to have cars sitting on the side of the road with no gas in them. Right? Now, the United States not long ago fed the world. We were the world's bread baskets. In fact, a lot of people a lot of people don't realize this, but one of the things that really helped keep tensions down during the Reagan administration and the Cold War was how much grain we sold to the Russians at below market value. We sold them tons of grain, very, very cheap, to help feed their people. And we became a source of their food. And because of that, we became a lot less of an antagonist, and that was part of what helped bring down the Soviet Union, was that we were actually a benefactor to them, rather than completely an adversary. Now, we're an adversary in other ways, and basically, we bankrupted them, and that's what caused the breakup. But what kept tensions down was the fact that we were feeding them. And no disrespect to to Jimmy Carter, because we were feeding him during his administration. I can say a lot of negative things about that guy, but, you know, we were doing that already. We did that all the way back into the late 60s. We started to export grain to the the Soviet Union. And today, if all the countries that ship food to the United States stopped, we had no more agricultural products shipped in, and then we said, okay, well, fine, well, if no one's going to give us any, we can't give any out, we'd be at a net loss for the food supply. In other words, we can't feed ourselves. So when you question, you know, is this gardening or survivalism, the answer is yeah. Right? Is this gardening or survivalism? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> because we're rapidly getting to a point where the agricultural systems of the world are becoming strained. And everybody's getting complacent right now. You're looking around, you're going, well, gas is under two bucks again. It's nice and cheap. And But what are we doing while oil is cheap? Are we exploring for more oil? Are we drilling more oil? Are the idiots in California looking at Texas and going, there's oil rigs all over off the coast of Texas. Texas has no environmental problems at all from the oil rigs. These guys have figured out how to drill oil without ruining beaches. And if they're more than 15 miles offshore, we can't see them so they don't even bug us. (laughs) Nope. Nope, Californians still don't want no oil rigs off of their coast, even though there's tons of oil out there. Carolinians, you guys in North Carolina, South Carolina, you need to put some pressure on your government. There's a lot of oil out there. It could enrich your state like it's done for Texas, like it's done for Alaska, like it could have done for California. But no, environmental wackos don't want them drilling for oil there either. And folks, I don't want to turn this into the, you know, the global warming debate again or anything, but what you have to realize is... As big as I am on supporting alternative sources of energy, solar, wind, and yes, nuclear is part of the solution, we're not there yet, and we're not going to be there anytime soon. This is a 20 to 50 year path to a point where we could actually get there. And every day that we delay providing enough oil... To get us there smartly, we make the time it's going to take longer. Not exploring for oil today, not exploring for oil, it's hard to get this, is is extending the amount of time it will take to get us on alternative energy sources to a high degree in the future. 
I digress. Just wanted to draw the parallel for you. So we got all this problem with energy because we're a net importer. Now let me ask you something. If I set you up in your house and I give you something to eat, something to drink, and you can keep your house warm enough through insulation and what have you, but I don't give you any gasoline, can you survive? And the answer is, yeah, of course I can survive. I might be happy. I want to get in a car and go somewhere, but at least I'm going to live. If I take away your food supply, how long can you live? If we take away oil and gas from people, will there be rioting? Yep. Sure will. We take away food from people. How much worse will the rioting be? How much less time will it take to start? Food on the table is an old saying for a reason. So, you know, look to what you can do to keep putting food on the table from your own production. Um, another thing that I'm going to be adding to my container gardening this year is some blueberries. And it was something I really never thought of until I started, you know, thumbing through some catalogs. I think Gunny's Nursery uh, was where I saw the first blueberry plants uh, that I ever saw called a patio blueberry. And I think I'll be planting some of those this year. Now, blueberries, they're not the greatest thing in the world when you uh, when you dehydrate them. I've tried it. They're okay. Sun-dried, they make something that looks a lot like a raisin. And that's pretty good for uh, for long-term storage in, uh, you know, like uh, trail mix type things as well. So we'll try a little bit of that. But blueberries also make, get this, awesome beer. Absolutely phenomenal wheat beer. Blueberry wheat. First time I ever had a home brewer's blueberry wheat, I was like, wow, I've got to make some of this. So there's a lot of creative things that you can do with blueberries. Uh, Sun-dried blueberries. Again, it'll store very well, and they, they actually come out very, very uh, nicely in uh, blueberry muffins, uh, blueberry pancakes. So there's two ways you can use them with your Bisquick mix uh, that you might store long-term as well. They freeze absolutely just fine, especially if you're going to be using them in fruit cocktails or uh, with ice cream or blended into, like, uh, making fruit smoothies or something like that. So, you know, there's another one to think about that maybe a lot of people don't is, you know, blueberry gardening, uh, how you can bring that and there are new hybrids now folks that are uh, able to tolerate the heat down into uh, zone 8. So blueberries have traditionally been a northern crop. One of their uh, assets is that they can handle very cold winters and come back next year and produce even more than they did last year Uh, but the detriment to that has been they haven't been able to handle the heat it would get hot, they would either die or just shit all their fruits Uh, so there are some new hybrids. Uh, Again check your zone information as you're ordering your plants or selecting your plants I'll warn you guys here in Texas, a lot of the blueberry plants that you see at like Home Depot and Lowe's, yeah, they're not hardy in our region. They can't handle the heat. Uh, You need to find a place where they at least get some shade if they're going to have any chance. But you're better off ordering from somebody like Gunny's or Raintree or something like that if you want to grow blueberries in the south. Uh, Moving on to some other things that you might want to think about looking at doing this year. If you already do have kind of a place you're going to be for a long time, 
I think one of the overlooked crops out there uh, for the survivalist is asparagus. Uh, once you establish a, a patch of asparagus, it will produce for you every year for up to 25 years. 25 years of production. And here's the cool thing about asparagus. When you eat asparagus, I think some people don't realize this, what you're eating are little shoots of a very, actually a very large plant. And as these shoots come up, you simply break them off or cut them off, depending on what you want to do. And once you harvest a certain amount of asparagus for the year, you stop your harvest and you let the plant grow. And if you've never seen an asparagus plant, absolutely beautiful. It's a giant fern, a very fine-leafed fern, not like a big broadleaf fern, but a very fine-leafed, almost almost evergreen tree-looking quality to it, gorgeous, huge, beautiful fern. So what you end up with with asparagus is food production every spring, and if you put a large patch in, probably more than you can eat, a lot of asparagus that you can either freeze or can. Canned asparagus is really a great way to go. Uh, it's one of the great reasons to learn how to can as a method of preservation if you have an asparagus patch. And then later in the year, you end up with a big, beautiful, ornamental fern in the area. And you need to let that happen. You can't just keep harvesting it because you need to let it continue to improve its root system and uh, increase its nutrients content its root system every year. Now, there's also some new cool uh, asparaguses out there. Actually, they're actually very old asparaguses that are coming back into vogue that are purple. And they kind of have a purple sheen uh, to the fern that they eventually produce. Uh, so there's something to look at as well. And I plan on putting in an asparagus patch up in Arkansas that's going to be a blend of two different kinds of asparagus, the purple and the green. So that's something else to maybe look at and look into this year. Container gardening, I'm going to take one of these big giant, because I just have so many of them now, like I got them so expensively, one of these big giant 20-inch pots, I'm going to see how many potatoes you can produce in a giant flower pot this year. So that will be another thing that we'll video track the progress of and put in the premium members area. So I just want you to start thinking this this week. How many more things can you do to produce your own food and what methods of preservation can you come up with for your own food? And there's a lot of other foods that, that are good for storage or ways to preserve foods that I didn't talk about today that I'll continue to talk about in future episodes. I obviously can't do everything at once but let me bounce an idea off you here. Let's Say that you're growing carrots, snow peas, and zucchinis in your garden, and you've made up a little biltong. And we'll have to do a whole episode on biltong, because when I just mentioned it in one show, it was a huge hit. But biltong is a lot like jerky, except it's dried in the cool shade instead of hot sun or over smoke. All right? And it's also a lot thicker. Because it's thick, when sliced up and then heated and cooked with a little bit of liquid, it actually gets a lot closer back to normal meat than jerky ever would. So you take some sliced up biltong, you put it in a bag with some dehydrated snow peas and dehydrated carrots with a couple cubes of beef bouillon and a little bit of dried pasta. Now think about what you've got there. 
for a replacement for, you know, a mountain house trail mix. So start thinking about that way, too. How can you take your own production and produce what we would call, I guess, field rations, long-term storage field rations, or, again, trail mixes, uh, dried blueberries, dried strawberries. Uh, you can grow peanuts, folks. A lot of people don't realize it's pretty easy to grow a peanut, you know, some peanuts, and uh, grow some soybeans and dry out your soybeans. And, and now you've, you're starting to produce some sunflowers. Grow some giant sunflowers. Dry out some sunflowers. All of a sudden you're producing, you know, a trail mix without uh, partially hydrogenated soybean oil in it, for God's sake. So all these other all this other crap that they put in there. Start thinking that way. Start thinking, what else can I do? Because it's your mind, it's your creativity that's going to make you able to adapt and overcome and continuously build that better life for yourself. And an army marches on its stomach. And folks, we're becoming an army. And we need to make sure that we keep feeding ourselves well. And we need to make sure, and this is nothing against the governments of these countries, because some of them are very friendly to us, and some of them I'd like to visit someday, but I don't want to be dependent on New Zealand, Australia, Argentina, Chile, and Mexico to feed me. I want to be able to have America feed ourselves. And there's a lot of things we talk about and I get really angry about, I get really pissed off about that our government's doing, that we can't do anything about, or we can do things, but they're very small incremental things. This is one thing, that no matter how bad they screw it up, you still control what you put in your mouth, and you still control whether you produce anything for yourself or not. So my challenge is for you there, figure out what you can produce no matter where you live. And if you are producing from a garden, see if you can produce one or two lunches a week from now till summertime from your garden. And then if you uh, are a guy with a couple X's in front of your L, let me know if it uh, drops you down an X, because that's what I'm going to try to do. And maybe I'll even have some surprising results at the uh, the Region 3 get-together in Birmingham uh, that's coming up soon. It's not a long way off, but uh, we'll see if I can't shed a few pounds just using the backyard garden and uh, be in a little bit better fit and form for you guys when I come out there and meet everybody. Uh, the end of today's show, I'd like to throw out one more invite, at least, uh, to the Survival Podcast beta version of the Supporting Members Brigade. This is a way that you can support the show at a cost of about 25 cents an episode. Again, I am not charging for the show. I am not going to lock anybody out of the show. I'm not going to charge for the forum. It doesn't give you special powers or special privileges. It just means that you're supporting the show, and I'm putting additional content uh, in the in the members area today. We had a member who has a written... Um, a written PDF manual. I don't even remember what it's on right now because I've just been doing too much. Uh, but he normally sells it. It's going to be available for free to people in the members area. I'll be doing the videos I talked about this weekend, trying to get them into the members area. Uh, so if you want to support the show, there's no links to it yet. The only way to get into the beta is to send me an email and ask me for the link, and I'll send it to you. Please understand, there's not much in the back office right now, or the members area, whatever you want to call it. It is not a forum. It is a place for some additional content that will be available in video and, and uh, download text format only for the people that support. It's extra. It's, it's not taking anything away there again. Uh, and the, like I said, the way I came up with the price point of $5 a month, uh, it seemed like a price that most people could afford. And if you're strapped for cash, don't do it. Don't support the show if you can't afford to. Support your family. Pay off your debt. But if you can, if you got a little extra, it comes out to $0.25 cents an episode. And I believe that I'm delivering 25 
25 cents in value every time I get on this mic, and that's why I feel okay uh, asking for it as a contribution. Um, final note today, uh, I'm going to be going out and meeting, hopefully, on Saturday, a gentleman that calls himself Garmin on our forum uh, to Mesquite. And if the video camera's here, I'll take it along. And we're going to be going out to the city of Mesquite, gives away compost, and I'm going to be hauling a truckload of compost for him. In return, he's going to get a truckload of the compost for me for free from the city. And that's going to be kind of cool to actually meet somebody. So Garmin's going to go down as the first person I've ever actually met who's heard about me first through my show and we can see if we can learn a little bit about how cities are doing some composting and make that video available as well again this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't and you can holler it really doesn't matter cause it all gets spent